Hello and welcome to the HPP Podcast. This is the HPP Podcast Editor, Arden Castle, and each week we explore a new topic related to the Health Promotion Practice Journal. Whether it's demystifying publishing, breaking down a new article, or discussing public health-related topics with our editorial board members, we hope you enjoy each week's exploration into health promotion practice. This is your host, Arden Castle, and today I'm joined by Dr. Sarah Bauman and Dr. Jessica Burke, authors of HPP's article titled Creating Community During COVID-19, a virtual art gallery to address social isolation during a pandemic, which was published in December of 2021. Now, a year later, we get to revisit their latest paper in HPP that was published December of 2022, titled Visualizing Mental Health Through the Lens of Pittsburgh Youth, a Collaborative Filmmaking Study During COVID-19. We first met Dr. Bauman and Dr. Burke, Sarah and Jesse, when they were our guests in our first season, episode 38. In that episode, they talked about the role of community art in the aftermath of the devastating 7.8 magnitude earthquake in Nepal some years before. They also introduced us to collaborative filmmaking. We invited them back to the podcast to mark the third anniversary of our first real awareness of COVID-19 and the beginning of our understanding of what it all would mean. But before we get started, I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves and have them share where they're calling in from. I'll jump in. I'm Jesse Burke. I am Vice Dean for the School of Public Health at the University of Pittsburgh. I'm also faculty in our Department of Behavioral and Community Health Sciences. And I think what matters here is that I love creative approaches to public health work and thinking about them through a systems-oriented approach. So life is messy, um, and how do we better understand it and address it? And I have to say, I'm calling in from my office at Pitt, and I am surprisingly nervous. So <laughs> we've talked to you many times, and I love these experiences, but today, for some reason, I'm feeling nervous. So I'm excited to jump in because I think once we get started and talking about the things that we really care about and are excited to share, I'll feel better. But I thought I should just put that out there. So Sarah. I, you read my mind. I feel like I feel the same exact way. Seeing art in space is making me calm down a little bit, but I'm like, oh my gosh, I think I care about this work so much. So I think once we start talking, it'll, it'll just flow from there. So I'm Sarah Bauman. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Behavioral and Community Health Sciences at the University of Pittsburgh and work very closely with Jesse. I focus a lot on global health research and very interested in mental health challenges, but also mental health resiliencies and what that looks like in different cultures and contexts. So I'm also very passionate about using participatory and visual and creative approaches in my research, particularly filmmaking. And so I'm very excited to be able to dive into all of that here with you all today. Oh yeah, and I'm calling in from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm calling in from my home office today. Excellent. And I am so excited to have you both back. And your love and tenderness around these topics is so clear, even through reading through the website and going through these visual pieces, you can just tell how much you all care about sharing what the participants were going through. And I'm getting ahead of myself, but there's no need to be worried here because it was so, so passionate and I loved it. But before we dive into this recent paper, I wonder if you would share with listeners where you were and what you were doing in February of 2020 and how that changed when you were told to stay at home. And Sarah, I'll start with you. 
Yes. At that time, I was actually a postdoc fellow at the University of Pittsburgh. I was studying global women's health. My postdoc title was actually a global women's health researcher, working very closely with Jesse. And so as you see there, the job title states global health. And at that time, I was really focused on building my global health research portfolio, doing a lot of work in South Asia. I'm very passionate, as I mentioned, about looking at health issues across different contexts and cultures, but little that I know that was all going to change quite rapidly. So I was doing global health postdoc, but situated in Pittsburgh as the closures happened. And so luckily, Jesse and I had been brainstorming and trying to dream up a project a little bit closer to home. So I think the timing of it actually couldn't have been better in terms of we had already kind of established this mental health, youth mental health collaborative filmmaking project. And we're really excited about trying to take this method that we have used in global health research and bringing it a little bit closer to home. And so we were set up and ready to go. But as you'll hear throughout this conversation, we really had to pivot and faced a lot of challenges. But yeah, we were just kicking off this particular project as the pandemic started. And I'll jump in. I increasingly have a hard time remembering what I was doing three years ago, right? It's hard to believe that it was three years ago at this point. So I look for sort of markers in time to help me remember, obviously, the, you know, working remotely and the stay at home orders, et cetera, really clear in my brain, but what exactly I was doing in that moment, I'll say that I had planned to be on a trip to Nepal with Sarah in January of 2020 and was unable to go because I injured my knee. And so I was really bummed out that I was not in Nepal for that sort of early January, February period. I was increasingly aware towards the end of February that there was a public health issue that may have an impact on us. And at the time I was associate dean for academic affairs. And so I was paying close attention because I was worried about what it would mean for our students and our educational mission. And I remember very clearly at the very beginning of March saying to some of our infectious disease faculty here, what does this mean? What are we going to need to be doing? And what impact do you think it will have? And at that point in time, we had no idea, right? It was really a question of, should we be getting masks? Do they work? What do we know about them? And, you know, and here we are three years later, having experienced it all, I I do find it hard to look back because there were so many ups and downs, right? But at the time, I was faculty, associate dean, and sort of quickly thrown into the deep end, figure out what's happening and how do we move forward, both personally and then professionally in supporting um, our faculty, staff, and students. And so I'm curious, Arden, how about you? February 2020, what was going on? Yeah, similar to you both, there was a lot of pivoting that happened. I was in my master's you know, studying public health and these in-person classes that I had signed up for were becoming virtual. And so it was the beginning of that switch there and we needed to find internships that were now not there anymore. And that's how I ended up with Health Promotion Practice Journal and created the podcast. We've got over a hundred episodes since that time. And so what an interesting place to come together. That's how I met you all and how we've been able to continue to promote something in a different way. And so 
it's super exciting to see where that came from. But I mean, as you said, lots of ups and downs along the way. But one of the joys for me of being involved with the HPP podcast is being able to meet authors and follow their work throughout time since it's been three years, we're in season three now. And so we got a chance to talk about the role of filmmaking and visual arts in both of your careers and creative work during our episode in season one. But I'd love to know more about the mental health work that you've done. And what can you tell me about your work around mental health? And Jesse, we'll start with you. Yeah, so it's interesting. I did not start out with a focus on mental health. In fact, my sort of entry into public health was through HIV prevention. And so I had been working in HIV prevention among women and quickly learned that there were many associated issues. So I spent a lot of time addressing intimate partner violence and how that interacts with women's ability to protect themselves against HIV and other sexually transmitted infections. But the more I did that work, and it was a mix of qualitative and quantitative, the more I understood or began to understand the sort of complicated, messy side of life that I mentioned earlier, right? That there are many things related to all of our health topics that we focus on. And so in the world of HIV and intimate partner violence, substance use and mental health are two that get quite a bit of attention. And so at the time we were doing a study about HIV and intimate partner violence among women, and we assessed depression using the CESD and found that three quarters of our sample were depressed. And then that sort of put a spotlight on this issue of we need to address mental health. I'll just pause here and say that, you know, I guess I never had intentionally focused on mental health, but I certainly do ascribe to the World Health Organization definition of health, right, as being a complete state of physical, mental, psychological well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. And so I definitely support that, but had just not been working specifically in the mental health field. So fast forward two decades, it's hard to believe, right? But fast forward two decades, I'm working here in Pittsburgh, have a pretty good relationship with one of the local foundations, the Jewish Healthcare Foundation. And they asked me if I would be willing to work with them to do a needs assessment about adolescent behavioral health and their behavioral health initiative in the region and talk with parents and teens in particular about their access to mental health support. So that sort of led to the project that we're going to talk specifically about today in terms of the collaborative filmmaking. I also want to add in, I know I'm talking a lot. I told you I was nervous, right? (laughs) That's what happens. But I want to add in here a piece I think that's valuable is that at the same time that I was doing this work in my professional world of looking at adolescent behavioral health and mental health issues, my own daughter shared that she was really having a hard time with anxiety. And she asked if if I could support her and help her find a therapist. And that was amazing on her part, right? That she was a teenage, at the time she was 15, and she sort of recognized that 
she needed support. And in doing so, she helped me recognize that I needed some supports too. And so that has sort of snowballed into that I pay much more attention to mental health and well-being for myself, for my family, and then how it intersects with all the health issues that we address in our work. So long story, but that's sort of how I landed in this space right now. I think I can just add a little bit to kind of this conversation about our work and mental health. I obviously haven't been working in this field as long as Jesse, but I think kind of similarly, I came to mental health as a public health topic kind of in a roundabout way, not kind of focusing my research portfolio directly on mental health at first, but realizing that it intersects so much with so many aspects of global health and women's reproductive health, which was my focus and continues to be my focus in research as well. And so, for example, a lot of the work I do is in far west Nepal, looking at menstrual seclusion and traditional menstrual practices in which women are isolated during their menstrual cycles and post-childbirth. And in conversations with women and girls throughout trying to understand this practice, I heard a lot of conversations bubbling up about feeling isolated feeling fearful, feeling scared for their physical well-being, but also feeling really stressed about falling behind in school during that time while they're feeling isolated, feeling just lonely because they have to stay away from their family and friends for this, you know, period of time from three to eight days while they're menstruating. And so it began to become very apparent that I needed to start to look at mental health outcomes, things like fear and stress and anxiety and depression and loneliness, in addition to kind of how are these practices impacting physical health. And so that's kind of something that's always been on my radar since having those conversations with these women and girls in Nepal, and now kind of trying to bring that in and weave mental health into my research portfolio in kind of a quite a direct way. And so really excited that this project really has a direct focus on mental health. So I'm excited to dive into that more today. I love that you both have come to mental health through different avenues, because I think that that brings so much enlightenment in how you approach the topic and how you put it towards the forefront, because it is interwoven with so many different health topics. And as you're sort of following these root causes through all these different facets of health, you have these also personal notes of understanding. And so I think that that's so important in our work and I consider that expertise. And so with that deep knowledge of that, it's no surprise that this visualization project came along. And so what can you tell me about the collaborative filmmaking paper? I guess I'll start and then Sarah can fill in all the pieces that I missed. That's sort of our relationship. Um, So as Sarah mentioned earlier, we had started to discuss this back in the fall of 2019, and it built on my relationship with the Jewish Healthcare Foundation and again, supporting their work in the mental health space and support for teens and adolescents in the area. And so we had started talking about how important it could be to use collaborative filmmaking. And they agreed, they provided us with some funding to support the work. And so we got moving on designing the program, you know, coming up with all the protocols, how will we use it? How will we recruit participants, et cetera? And we held our very first session in February of 2020, Sarah had literally just come back from Nepal, the trip I was supposed to be on. (laughs) She got back. We started this project. And then like 
I know it must have been, you know, a week or two later, maybe even less than that, that, you know, really the the impact of COVID and all of the stay at home orders. And so we had to pivot and both figure out how to use this approach with these new restrictions in place and how to incorporate it into our research project, right? We were addressing mental health among adolescents in the Pittsburgh area. And obviously COVID has a huge impact there. And so we were able to integrate it into the work that we were doing. And so the collaborative filmmaking process is one that really Sarah led and developed during her doctoral dissertation work that I was a part of. And so we were able to take those six steps of the collaborative filmmaking process and then apply it to this issue of mental health and well-being among teens in Pittsburgh. Now, Sarah, what did I miss in describing how this all happened? So yeah, I think that it's important to mention that this is the second time we applied collaborative filmmaking. So kind of building off of my dissertation work, as Jesse mentioned, in Nepal, we developed this method together, piloted it in Nepal, obviously a very different context. We were studying menstrual traditions. Now we're here in Pittsburgh studying mental health. We really weren't sure how this was all going to pan out. And so I think we were really excited about really testing and seeing, you know, whether or not this method would be appropriate and applicable to study kind of a sensitive and complex topic here, right here in Pittsburgh. And so as you'll read in the paper, it ended up working out really interestingly because we did had to pivot a lot during the pandemic and so had kind of this hybrid approach where we started the project and kicked it off, met all the participants, had our first filmmaking training in person, but then had to shift online and, and conduct these sessions by Zoom. There were also all of the other challenges associated with thinking about how are we going to get equipment to people when we're not supposed to leave our homes? Is it even safe? This was at the time, like thinking about whether or not the virus could be spread through touching different objects. We just weren't sure. There were so many unknowns. And so I think, you know, while looking back, we kind of summarize it in a clear and concise way in the paper. But actually at the time, each and every step, we were really trying to navigate, like, are we making the right decision or not. And we can definitely go into some of those challenges. But I will say that we were able to successfully finish our training online. We were able to encourage the participants to use different kinds of filmmaking styles and think creatively about how they were going to create their films now from home. And I will say I was so impressed at kind of not only the skill level, but the creativity that they brought to this project, because a lot of them were not film students. A couple of them were really interested in film. One student had not used any kind of animation software before, but reached out to me as she was planning her film and was like, I really wanted to film at school, but I can't film at school now. So I'm going to do animation and I'm just going to learn it. And she learned it completely on her own with no support from us and made this beautiful film, which you can watch on our website. It's incredible. I was just blown away. So I think folks had to think really creatively about how they were going to tell the story about stressors and supports in their lives because they weren't able to go into those typical spaces where maybe they do get support or they are stressed. And so they really did have to think outside the box, which I think was really reflected in the films in this project. Sarah, can I just jump in here to say that I think 
that piece of sort of, we didn't know what was going on and we were making the best decisions that we could, but we were also, or I can speak for myself, I was really aware that, you know, these participants had agreed to be in this project. Their worlds had just been turned upside down and I wanted to find a way for them to continue to participate, right? I didn't want to say, oops, this is too hard because we know through the existing evidence and research about the importance of art and engagement and art as a therapy and an intervention to support mental health, right? So I just felt this like compelled that we had to figure it out in some way, because my hope was that participating would be a, a good thing for them. So I just wanted to throw that in because that's definitely within the context of sort of COVID, exactly what was happening. We had a project, we wanted to do it, we needed to figure it out, but we also really wanted to do it because hopefully it will give them something to focus on that was not some of the chaos and uncertainty that was happening around them. Absolutely. I'm hearing a lot of ways in which it was challenging to do this work during COVID-19 and a lot of ways that you were being creative and the participants themselves are being creative. I'm hearing, you know, planning around how to drop off equipment and keeping in mind where the youth are physically and mentally throughout this process to not add to those stressors, but potentially try and be a place where they can lean on and have resources and something else to focus on during the pandemic. Also, I love their creativity throughout this whole process. Sarah, I was wondering if you could share with us some of maybe your favorite moments or some moments that really stuck out that you want to unpack with us a little bit more. I hesitate to say favorite moments because I was looking through the website and they just have such fantastic ways of representing this data. One that stood out to me was one that was similar to like a video game aspect. And I thought that that was such a creative and unique way that was so personal to those students or those participants. And I just was really impressed by their work. So I was wondering if you could share some work with us. Yes, I particularly love that film as well. And I think it's a good example because as you will hear in the next few minutes, as I share a little bit about the range of the films, they really did range in genre and style. That was literally looking at mental health through a video game. She turned her life into a video game. I would like to share a couple that I think are just kind of nice to juxtapose against one another. And the first that I'll share is by a student, Vincent, who made this short film about kind of structural, I would describe them as structural stressors, and really was a very profound and deep film, especially with the way that they shot the film as well. I wish you could see it. I definitely invite you to go to the website to watch, but it really is this mix of these extreme wide shots of the desolate city, the desolate city of Pittsburgh during the pandemic, mixed with these kind of close-up shots of fans spinning and insects flying around and really getting the opportunity to unpack that meaning was really important in our co-analysis sessions. So I'll play you just a little clip of their film here. I believe that I'm growing up in a place where I'm supposed to put my trust in, in some system that will train me to do that and will teach me how to do that rather than teach me about something beautiful or something that I could care about. And it is stressful to me that there are greater powers, like governments and companies, the ones that are sponsoring my training and the ones that won't care if it hurts me, and that they do not have to function by the morals or the ethics of humans because they are above it, and they do not care what happens to us. 
a lot at the same time. I don't have the time to look up from the amount of schoolwork I have to do. So what is an answer to all the stress? I guess there's always the fact that the world is beautiful. I just wish I had more time to look at it. So you can see here that in this film, the focus here really was on the stressors, particularly if you watch the whole film, really Vincent talks about the structural stressors, the stress of kind of the systems that are overarching their life from school systems to government, to feeling like they're kind of in this wheel and there's no way out. So really kind of a film that focused a lot on the stressors and a very structural viewpoint. But I would also like to share a short clip from Ayala's film. And in her film, she really split her film to focus on the stressors in the first part of the film and shifts in the middle to really focus on the supports in her life. And I want to play this middle section because you can hear from the music that she wrote and recorded for the film that it's kind of starts off as kind of this somber tone and you'll hear it shift. And I think it's a nice example to show kind of where she heads in her film talking about stressors in the beginning of the film and, and shifts to kind of a more positive tone at the end. So I'll go ahead and play that. I am someone who can recognize that I have something and you have something that no one else does, and that is that I am someone and you are someone that no one else can ever be. I can say with complete clarity and confidence that I would be nowhere without my experiences. Don't let challenge break you. Of course, it is much easier said than done. I would never want to minimize or dismiss the heavy challenges that youth in our day are dealing with. To those who are struggling, I hear you and I see you. I've been there. And what I've learned is that there are many, many things that can help make your journey a little less painful. Seeking help is one of the strongest and most effective things a person can do. I have been in and out of therapy for many years and it's helped me grow into who I am. I have mentors people who I respect and look up to, who I can reach out to for support and advice. I surround myself with people who make me a better person. So you can hear really the positivity and she really calls out some very specific supports that she harnesses in her life from therapy to her social supports. And so the full film is is absolutely beautiful. And you can see it's surrounded by shots of nature and being outdoors. And she brings in archival footage from her travels. And so, again, she couldn't travel for this film, but she was able to go back and, and pull together all of these beautiful pieces that she collected from her travels and experiences around the world and, and really talked about that as a support. So really beautiful pieces and powerful pieces that we as researchers were then able to sit down and unpack with the filmmakers 
talk about meaning and talk about all of the motifs that they used, talk about the lyrics and the music and all of those elements really helped to, to get a holistic understanding of these supports and stressors in their lives. So I have seen those films many, many times. And every time I just, they're so incredibly powerful, right? That these adolescents shared all of this with us, that they wanted to share it with an even broader audience, that they were so vulnerable and creative and let us see a side that they may not have shown otherwise. And every time I see them, I literally get chills, right? That you like know that it really comes from a, a true, true place. And so I think we tapped into something here, right? That has been helpful for us to share with others. I don't know if you want us to talk a little bit about sort of how those films have been disseminated and shared. Sarah, maybe you can give us some details. I'm trying to pull up, um, as a side note, um, <laughs> we have a presentation at the upcoming SOFI conference that is on collaborative filmmaking for research intervention and advocacy. And so we're summarizing in that presentation all of the collaborative filmmaking that we have done to date. And I went back to our collaborators. So every project that we've done has been in collaboration with a partner. And we went back to those partners and asked them to reflect on sort of that piece of how is collaborative filmmaking helpful for research intervention and advocacy. And so I was trying right now to pull up the quote that I have from our partner for this project, but I don't have it yet. So Sarah, can you present what we did in terms of how we shared the films? Because that's also interesting. We were still in the middle of COVID and how did we disseminate and make sure that a broader stakeholder groups could you know, hear what these amazing teens had to say. Yeah. So one of the, I think, benefits of collaborative filmmaking is this ability to use the films at the end for either advocacy or awareness raising purposes. It's a really powerful tool to share a really compelling story with kind of this humanized touch to all of these health issues. And so we always invite the filmmakers, if they are interested in sharing their films, to participate kind of in a full documentary screening in which they help us design that event, help us to figure out who are the right people to bring in the room to show their films to, and we just organize that. And so for this particular study, as Jesse mentioned, we were still in the height of COVID-19, and so that had to happen virtually. So we worked with our community partner, the Jewish Healthcare Foundation, to organize a virtual film screening where we were able to give an overview of the project and present all of the films. And it was great because the students themselves told us who were the right people to show these films to. And so we were able to invite school teachers, school counselors, researchers, journalists, school administrators. I think we had 29 people who ended up joining the first film screening. And it was awesome because they were able to not only see the films and hear from the filmmakers themselves, 
but we also collected recommendations from the audience members. So there's this added layer of being able to kind of collect even more data and get reactions from the audience. And so we did exactly that. We had this interactive Mentimeter exercise where people were able to respond in real time to different questions around recommendations. We asked them about you know, ways in which we can improve youth mental health based on what they saw in the films. And they gave some really great recommendations. And those are all outlined in the paper. And I'll just say that it was really powerful to see quite a diverse group come together to see these films. I do feel like having this film screening over Zoom, while I, of course, wish it could have happened in person, I almost feel like we had different people that wouldn't have necessarily been able to come in person. So having Zoom and having these events on Zoom really do sometimes help with the accessibility to bring lots of different people in the room and engage on these topics. And so I do think that that was an incredibly successful event and was really excited to have kind of their recommendations directly from audience members. And so I cannot find this quote. So if you're listening and you want to go to the presentation at Sophie, I think it is on Thursday. And I'm going to share much, much more from our partners in terms of their reflections. But I want to come back to this. I will say they're very positive, right? That it is a, a useful approach. I mean, there are some challenges or limitations. It's very time consuming. You know, it is definitely different than doing just, you know, a one-time interview. It's an iterative process. And so that said, I think the strengths far outweigh those challenges. And that's reflected in the feedback that we've had from our partners. And then the feedback that we've had from the participants has all been incredibly positive. And, you know, in terms of the specifics for this project, when we shared the results with that group, they did generate a number of ideas about how to address or improve mental health for adolescents. And that ranged from, you know, sort of more structural actions to destigmatize mental health and, and really just raise the conversation and awareness around it to providing resources in school, and then also providing more academic support for students that students did and teens in these films did raise academic issues as particular stressors. We didn't spend a ton of time in today's discussion, but in the paper, we do talk about it a bit more, that we explored both stressors and supports, and we explored sort of COVID in that context too. And I think it's important to note that some brought up that actually COVID was not all bad, that they actually were, you know, able to have more downtime and more time for reflection. And I know, again, tying it into my daughter's own personal experience, she talked about it just made life a little bit easier that she could sort of do things on her own time frame. And that was also reflected in the in the film. So, you know, I think the relationship between mental health and sort of teens' life experiences is one thing. And then adding the layer of COVID is another. But it's important for us to remember that it was not all bad. I mean, that seems very strange to say, but I think that it changed the dynamic for some and, and may have actually made it a bit better. Sarah, do you want to add anything to that piece? Well, just as you were talking, it reminded me similar to kind of this theme of COVID and mental health, 
there were other themes that came up in the data that were both stressors and supports. And one example that I can think of was families or the social network of families. A lot of our participants were either first generation high school students in the U.S., or had younger brothers and sisters who were navigating it for the first time. And they talked a lot about this pressure from their families, but also their kind of broader communities to be a good role model and be kind of the ideal student, be this ideal version of themselves. And that was a huge stressor for them. On the flip side of that, a lot of them talked about how, like Jesse mentioned, their parents were the ones that were able to get them access to these incredible mental health supports, like a therapist, like medication in some cases. And so this idea of families and communities being, you know, in one way, kind of stressful with the pressure that they're putting on them, but on the other hand, really necessary. And so we thought a lot about how we can potentially harness kind of those social groups and networks, whether that's in families intervening in schools to really kind of build that up as a support, right? So I think there's a foundation there that we can build from, but there's a lot of work to do. And it's not so easy as like these, these parts of people's lives are stressful and these parts are supports. There really is a lot of overlap and they're, they're muddied in a lot of ways, which makes sense because life is messy as Jesse always says. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm hearing and thinking about those short clips that we watched and just that tenderness that the participants are willing to engage in and this opportunity for them to confront the systems and structures that were empowering or disempowering them. What a fantastic way for them to be speaking these affirmations out loud and really coming to terms with the pieces of their lives that are helping and hurting them especially at such a vulnerable time. They talk about how there's so many expectations socially and otherwise of how they should or shouldn't be acting. But I love this idea of this participatory film screening as well, not just stopping with, we've made a product, but actually taking it to the communities, being really intentional so that you could yield recommendations from everyone, including the priority population, not just saying we're the researchers and we know what's best for you, but asking them again, how can we make this better? And I also want to come back to this idea of COVID not being all bad because it's so interesting to unpack that these caring adults are both providing stress and also providing support. And I myself was a student at the time of COVID as well. And in some ways, the lockdown was helpful because I didn't have to take the train to school and have to worry about my safety at night classes. I could just pop in from a safe space in my home. And so while it was both helpful and you know, I lost that community of being in a classroom with folks. There is so much to think about in the way that COVID affected all of us, you know, as students and workers and public health and whatnot, but really fascinating and wonderful that you were able to capture this moment in their lives for them and for the community at large. And so as you continue to listen and lean into what your research is telling you is important, like you've both taken this trip down and thinking about mental health in a more central way to your work. Where has it taken you and what are you up to now? Yeah, we can always dream up next next projects, next things. And this project, I think, organically led into a project that we're now wrapping up, which is around mental health. And essentially, it's a, well, Sarah, you can do a better job of explaining it, but it's an extension of the Art Heals work that we talked with you about originally, way back when. Now we're focused on mental health and the pandemic and here in Pittsburgh. 
and applying a similar approach to sort of how are our artists, in this case, managing the pandemic and their mental health. Sarah, you can say it much more eloquently than I. Do you want to give it a go? I'll give it a try. So yeah, this project obviously with youth had mental health at its core and really started to really uncover some of these complexities of how mental health is playing out during COVID-19. And because Jesse and I are so interested in the role that arts can play, not only as a therapeutic tool, but also as a research tool, we thought, why not kind of dive in and build upon our other HPP work from Nepal and really dive in and understand the role of mental health and the arts during COVID-19. And so we interviewed, I think, 29 artists. We interviewed community members. We worked very closely with an incredible photographer, Justin Merriman, who actually went around and photographed not only the art, but also kind of where these artists were creating at the time. And we interviewed them about the role that mental health has played within kind of their role as an artist, but also how art is impacting their community during COVID-19. And a lot of them talked about how art literally saved them during this time and how art really can be harnessed as a tool for mental health during times like this, during trying times. And so we are in the final stages of analyzing that data. And I think something that's also in parallel to this really is this creative component, right? So we're creating this final product that is a virtual online gallery, similar to how we do with the collaborative filmmaking projects, really making sure that those visuals that help tell this very rich story are included in our research outputs. The words are important. The quotes are important. They're, you know, very powerful, but having kind of these beautiful photographs alongside really help to illustrate, I think, the key themes in a really powerful way. So really excited to share those when they're ready soon. So that's our latest kind of creative mental health project. And it was a range of artists, right? So a tattoo artist, a graffiti artist, a trying to think of like a sculpture, painter, so many amazing works of art. So the art themselves is amazing. The artists are amazing. And then we captured all of this through some incredible photography. And so I can't wait to to pull it all together so that we can share all of those components with others. And, and I think this ties in really nicely to the work that we were talking about for collaborative filmmaking in that our hope for sure is that by sharing the results from this project, that it will engage others and elevate the conversations around mental health, right? So the photography, the artwork is amazing. That will capture people's attention. And then that when they realize that it is tackling issues of mental health, they'll already be engaged. And so my hope is that that is one way we can help to destigmatize some of the discussion around mental health as a significant health issue. So super excited. Can't wait to pull that all together. Once we do, we'll have to come back and talk to you because we've got some crazy ideas about how it should be disseminated and shared. And I I kid you not, things like, could we project the images on the sides of public buildings so that we could, you know, capture people's attention? So We haven't figured it out yet, but I'm pretty sure that we're going to find a way to really make a splash. 
That is so exciting. I cannot wait to have another conversation with y'all to see where you take it because it's just so fun to see where you take art and where artists take art and to bring it all the way back to the community in a big way. And we think about art as a tool for resilience and resistance. And so I'm just so excited to see how this goes because you're so intentional about bringing the photos as a part of your dissemination in order to engage folks in mental health conversations and destigmatization. And so, so wonderful. Your work has been fantastic. And thank you both so much for being here today and sharing your time and experience and excitement around these topics and also sharing the voices of some of your participants. And I want to let our listeners know that there are more episodes on COVID in our playlist. And there's also a collection of COVID-related papers on the HPP website. Additionally, check out the other work by our guests, Sarah Bauman and Jesse Burke, and their colleagues, as well as a growing collection of arts-based health promotion projects and papers. As they mentioned, they're going to be at the SOFI conference. And so check out their work there. And I want to say thank you both so much for being on the show today. So Arden, I have to jump in and say one more thing. Sarah and I are teaching a new class for undergraduate students called Can Art Heal? And we're having an amazing time teaching this class and exploring all of these issues with undergraduate students. But the thing I want to tell you about is that we are encouraging them to present their final project in a creative way. And so we've taken them around campus to all of the you know, the Center for Creativity, et cetera. And they have a podcast studio where you can create a podcast. And we keep telling them about how they have to do so because the HPP podcast is so amazing and they could do something similar. So you should know that we've mentioned your name several times in that class. So thank you for making this so wonderful. I was nervous coming into it. Now I'm just excited. And I really appreciate all the support that you and everyone at HPP has given us to continue doing this work. Oh my gosh, that's fantastic. And thank you so much. And I think that the answer to the name of your class is yes, art totally can heal. So thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the HPP podcast. If you enjoyed this content, let us know by tagging us or responding to our promotions on Twitter and LinkedIn. You can also find out more about the Health Promotion Practice Journal from Sage or Sophie's websites. All of these links can be found on the podcast website at anchor.fm forward slash health dash promotion dash practice. Take care and have a great day.